Hi there, this is James Myers with Sea of Fire Ministries. I just wanted to take some time to apologize for last week. We weren't able to get the messages out as we ran into some, some technical difficulties, but we're hoping we can piece those together and, and at least get out what we can, albeit late. So again, our, our sincerest apologies. However, we are providing a link in the description of these podcasts to uh, link you to our YouTube channel uh, where you can find some of the snippets, some of the shorts from those messages, um, should you so desire. But again, our sincerest apologies, uh, but I hope and pray you had a wonderful Christmas. I pray you have a great new year, and thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. May God richly bless you. Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. Today, James considers Christ as king through his temptations in the wilderness. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seaoffire.org, or you can view James's latest videos at YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to strengthen and build up the church. All right, so Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall ser ser serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. He who has ears to hear the word of God, let him hear it. Our Father, as we consider this trial, this testing of your Son, I ask that you abide with your children, that we might see the testimony, see the work of our Savior, see the suffering which he endured for us, and the warning that we might heed by his temptations, by his testings. Father, be with us now. We offer this time as an offering to you, for you are to be worshipped now and forever. In the, Son, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. So today, we're actually going to start another series, probably a three-part series considering Christ as King. And what my objective is, is to show Him as King through what He went through, through some of the things that He went through in his life, which he suffered as king, okay? And we'll kind of get into the differences of the perspectives of the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. But some of this, what, I, what has started becoming is more of an or academic kind of a theological deal. So we will have, God willing, a series. There are a lot of series I have in my in my head coming to our Bible study. Okay, so God willing, we will have a series regarding the kingdom of God. So what I what my objective is is to kind of lay this out in layman's terms by the testimony that is found in the Bible, and we will save the Latin for later. Okay, God willing. So we are going to consider Christ as King through this. Testing now, one of the brief things I want to do because again we're going to have another one considering the devil, and so I don't want to get into too much detail here. But I do want to give you a passage real quickly though. In the Old Testament, there are basically the word Satan is used three different ways. Once one is a verb, really to oppose, and another is a noun. But the noun can be a human, you know, just an adversary, a foe, somebody who opposes you, or this spiritual figure. This this fallen angel, the devil. Okay, but I did want to give you a passage. It's in Ezekiel uh, chapter 28, and we're going to start at verse 11 till 19. 
okay? And I'm just gonna read this, okay? Well, we might discuss it a little bit, but I don't plan to. I just wanna read this. This gives you a, a, a somewhat of an indication of who the devil, where he came from. There's another one in Isaiah, but we're gonna look at this one. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up, a, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You are the, the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You are on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. Okay, real quickly. In Revelation, it does say once, once Satan is driven into the pit, he will, he will truly be belittled, mocked from other kings. From other kings. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples were astonished, were astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. So that is a brief synopsis of who the devil is. Now, in the New Testament, the, the devil is our adversary. The, the, the simplest way I can kind of put it, because the Bible makes this clear, is that Satan is a defeated foe. He's already defeated, okay? But he's still a dangerous dangerous adversary prowling like a lion like peter had said seeking whom he will destroy whom he will devour he is he is a fierce enemy who has already been destroyed but that devouring the devil's devouring takes us from the dominion of christ's salvation into the dominion of the fall of the fall there's one dominion. We are under one dominion should we be in Christ, and it's a glorious dominion. This passage, and basically the reason Satan fell was he was full of his beauty. He just thought he was wonderful. He was the morning star, and all the, that's, what, that's what Lucifer truly means, the morning star. You know, an angel of light, and he got caught up in that and wanted more glory, wanted more glory, just like men and women. And that's why he, caught, he tempted Adam and Eve to cause them to, lead, to lose their dominion. And that's a story for another time, God willing. However, that's who Satan is. Okay, so as soon, at, right after Jesus was baptized, right? He comes before John the Baptist. John the Baptist is saying, you should be baptizing me. We've already talked about that. However, once he was baptized, he ascended out of the water, and the Spirit of God, though heavens open, and the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. This was a sign for John, John the Baptist. God told him, whoever this happens to is the Lamb of God. So this happens, and God spoke audibly. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's just remember that, okay? We'll, it won't take long before we get there. This is my beloved Son, in whom I will, in whom I am well pleased. Now, the baptism of Jesus was basically his anointing. Okay, he never served in his messianic ministry until he was baptized. He was always the Messiah. He's always been the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But this is basically his initiation, his ordination, his his anointing into the ministry. So basically, this is where his ministry begins right after the baptism. So now he's filled with the Holy Spirit because of the anointing. He's always been filled, okay? So technicalities notwithstanding. Now is the time for his ministry. 
So right after his baptism, right after the holy anointing, where God is basically telling him, this is your time, and he's telling all of us, and he's telling him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay, then just after that, the spirit, the spirit led him into the wilderness. And again, we've talked about the wilderness, the Judean wilderness isn't a bunch of sand, is the most God-forsaken place where there isn't even any wildlife. Basically, the only life there are snakes and scorpions. Even, you know, there are no foxes, there are no coyotes, there are no lions. No other animal really lives there. It's a desolate place, absolutely desolate. Now, as we go into this, one of the parallels we have made is reflecting this account with the garden. The garden was a paradise. The paradise where food was at your disposal, all sorts of different food, anything your heart, anything to your heart's content, anything you desired was right there, right immediately available. Okay, and Adam and Eve both had a helper comparable to them. Jesus is alone, completely isolated. Remember, the first malediction was man should not, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, Jesus is being led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be alone for us right now. This is part of the battle. Let's just put it that way. This is his first battle, okay? Now, the Spirit drives him. He leads him. He drives him into the wilderness for this purpose, for this specific purpose. So we have the Garden of Eden, but as we will see as well, this is reflective of the deliverance out of Egypt as well, okay? And we'll, we'll get there uh, not too long from now. So then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's the purpose. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, so 40 days and 40 nights, that's reflective of the 40 years of the wilderness wanderings. So he's in the wilderness, 40 years of wandering. Moses had gone up to the Mount, Mount Sinai for 40 days and for 40 nights as well. Elijah has his own period of 40 days and 40 nights. Again, we've, we've, we've mentioned that there are many of these 40, night, 40 days and 40 nights. Goliath was cursing Israel for 40 days and 40 nights, two times a day. Okay, so this is, he's fasting. He's fasting. He didn't eat anything for 40 days and for 40 nights. And then the most... <laughs> obvious thing happens. Afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones, command that these stones become bread. Well, remember the first temptation? Remember the devil's temptation? It's continual temptation. It's his continual temptation. Hath God truly said? This is just after his baptism. He knows Jesus has been called. He knows. He knows he is the Son of God. But this is what the devil does. This is what the accuser does. This is what the tempter does. Hath God truly said? And if he said it, do you believe him? So, did he truly say you're the Son of God? And if he did, do you believe him? So, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And then Jesus responds, he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now that comes from Deuteronomy. All of Jesus' responses come from Deuteronomy. So we are going to consider this one is from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. Okay? Every commandment which I command you today must be you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you. This is the reason. He led you into the wilderness for 40 years in the wilderness to humble and to test you, just like what Jesus is going through. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. That's what his testing was. To fulfill all righteousness. Remember, that's the reason he had got, he was baptized as well. Jesus is his people so he must fulfill all righteousness that his people must fulfill and who we're supposed to be we're not so he must fulfill it completely and perfectly so that's why he's being driven into the wilderness to be tested 
we as well are, will be driven into a wilderness to be tested. God will tempt no one. We will consider that. He does test us. He does test us. And basically, God the Father is sending His Son to be tested. However, the tempter is the one who tempts. Okay, so he's driving him into the wilderness to be tempted by the tempter, but really to test him. And we'll, again, get into that a little bit more detail towards the end. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, this was the reason. This was the reason I had you starve that whole time. So that you might learn, Israel, so that you might learn that man does not live by bread alone. Yes, we are, our sustenance is necessary for this body to continue, for our flesh, for our mortal coil to remain. But not that alone, and not that even primarily. The Word of God, the Word of God changes is the is the primary must should be anyway the primary determination our our ultimate and absolute passion our soul passion and thereby then we receive the sustenance from god that's why he rained down the manna once you know the man should not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god then here's some bread Here's some bread. I am blessing you. I am providing for you. But as we know, the Israelites failed. They, they, that's why they wandered for 40 years. Where they failed and where we fail, Christ gained the victory. Christ, is, again, He is the ultimate warrior. He is the King, delivering His people into glory. That is what's going on here. That is what's going on here. This is the first battle between the Son of God and the dark angel of this world. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, obviously Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Real quickly, and somewhat of a secondary issue however he set him on the pinnacle of the temple this is most likely the front of the temple in order for it to be a public display you know here's your chance jesus now is your now it's time for your ministry okay you 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 defeated me in that first temptation that's great all right now your ministry is supposed to start right you were just anointed if you're the son of god let's make this a spectacle let's make it clear to everybody that you are the son of god jump off of this temple for it is written, you know your Bible, you keep quoting, you know, you, you think this is your defense, you, you know your Bible, the devil knows the Bible. He twists and turns it though. So, Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So, the, what the devil uses is in Psalm 91, in verse 11 and 12 ultimately. Oh, I'm sorry. For he shall get, now we're going to read verses 9 through 13 though because you have made the lord who is my refuge this is this is a psalm because you have made the lord who is my refuge even the most high your dwelling place no evil shall befall you nor shall any plague come near you nor, near your dwelling for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. It says nothing about throwing yourself off to test the Lord your God. Jesus basically answers him. That's terrible hermeneutics. Okay, hermeneutics is how we read and study the Bible. You, the, one of the first principles of hermeneutics is to always always compare scripture with scripture anybody anybody can take a verse here and a verse there and make it whatever they want whatever they want i've come across this many times that is that is not what we do the devil takes it completely out of context completely out of context and so jesus this that psalm 
was basically really pointing to this faithfulness of God, the provision of God, and His protection. Not to go around throwing yourself out there, not to throw, not to jump, leap into the darkness and hope that God saves you. That is not faithfulness. That is credulity. That is the son or the daughter of the devil. That is the son and daughter of evil. We do not test God. We trust God. He has been ever faithful. Ever faithful. We do not put ourselves in harm's way and see if God delivers us. We will be put in harm's way. Potentially, it might be just somebody oppressing you. You know, you might just be the victim of slander, some, something like that. Or it could be a very hostile, violent oppression. But God is here to protect you, not to deliver you from your own foolish presumptions. The church is filled with those who tempt the Lord their God, who test the Lord our God. That is, that's absolute evil. That is absolute wickedness. We are here to serve God out of adoration, not out of compulsion. He did not conscript us into his service like all the other kings do. He called us. He called us. He hung on a cross so that we could be his. Now, yes, we do it on, out of appreciation for that. But we do it out of the glory of God who dwells within us, whose spirit fills us. Thereby, we will be driven into the wilderness. But God is faithful. His word is faithful. Man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the devil takes him on this pinnacle and tells him, you're the son of God. You were just anointed. You are just baptized. A dove came down. You're the man. You're the God man. Throw yourself down. Show everybody. Show everybody. And Jesus says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. That is from Deuteronomy 6, 16. We are going to read 16 through um, 19. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. That's where, this, that's where one of the times that uh, Moses had struck the water. All the, the people are thirsty. They're complaining. And they're thirsty. And so he struck, the, he struck the water. So you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. So you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you. Again, we do not serve God in order to gain this reward. It will be well with you if you, are, if you keep your fidelity to the Lord your God. If you truly remain in Him and He remains in you, then it will be well with you. You do, again, it is not, this is less, God is sovereign. So these are commandments, okay, from the sovereign God of all of heaven, of all of earth, of all the cosmos. However, this is a gracious command. Again, His commandments reflect who He is and who we were created to be. So thusly, if we follow them, it will be well with us. It will be well, it will be well with us. Basically, we are taken back into the garden as kings and queens. It will be absolutely well with you. If you remain in Christ, He will remain in you and bless you with Himself forever. Forever. So that's what this is really saying, okay? Now, the third temptation. Again, the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So he took him on an exceeding high mountain. Now, high mountains are all over the Bible. As we've seen, the pagans would, would set up their acropolises. Remember, there's a high city. It's built on these, these high hills. They always put them on high places. All the pagan gods are on these high places. However, Mount Sinai was a mountain. Moses was called on a mountain, the burning bush, and so forth. So many mountains, okay? Uh, uh, Elijah 
went up against the prophets of Baal on the mountain, Mount Carmel. So all sorts of mountains. He took them on a high mountain. We don't know what high mountain. And he showed them all the kingdoms of the world. Every single one of them. I mean, technically, okay? <laughs> Not physically, but basically he's saying he took them on this high mountain, this place where you have an idea, okay? All this, all this and their glory, right? All the gold, all the splendor, all the authority, all the, all the, all the authority to rule, all your subjects, all these subjects, all sorts of men to be runners of your chariots, to lead your armies, all the women to be your bakers and your cooks and all this, all the rest, all the glory, all the splendor. You, you want a crown? You're the king of kings, the lord of lords? Here's a crown. Here's a crown. Okay? Here's all, here's all the kingdoms and all their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm trying to point to. The kingdom of Christ is absolute dominion, but it's a dominion of service. It is because we hate God, we subject ourselves to the devil. We want the kingdoms of this world. We want all their glory. We want the gold. We want the golden crown. We want subjects. We want men and chariots. We want bakers and so forth. We want harvesters. We want livestock. We want slaves. Hopefully not. <laughs> but, but, you know, servants. You know, that, in that respect, you know, we just want to sit. We just want to sit in the lap of luxury and have all serve. Christ came to serve, not to be served. This is a test, though. Now, briefly, Luke and Matthew actually have these two temptations swapped. So the third temptation in Matthew is actually the second temptation in Luke, and there are, reason, there are speculative reasons for that that I'm not going to get into right now. Okay, briefly, uh, Matthew is speaking, is, is really writing to Jews, as we've said, right? Luke is writing to Gentiles, okay? So Matthew makes the last, he, he provides, again, it's not always in chronological order. We are not given an absolute historical, you know, at 9.30, you know, on, on the 12th of October, this happened, and then at 10.30, this happened. That is not how the Bible is written. So Matthew gives the whole account just in a different order, and he's putting this one last, this one last, to point to the Israelites, to point to the Jews, this king was tempted. This is the most severe temptation that the people fell. That's why they asked for a king. They wanted a king like all the other nations. They genuflected. They bowed the knee. They wanted a king unlike the king of all of heaven and all of earth. He is our true king. And if we can see the, dy the dynamic of kingdoms, we see Christ is a humble king. He's come to serve. He washed his disciples' feet. He served humbly. His ultimate victory was on a cross. His resurrection, his ascension. But his ultimate victory, that the war, the eternal war, is over. We are the victors through Christ. This war is over. But it could have gone terribly, terribly wrong. We must understand that Jesus in his humanity is being tested. Okay? We must understand that. This is a test. Christ, your king over heaven and over all the earth. Jesus, this is the devil. Jesus, your king over all the heaven and over all the earth. Well, look. You know, I've been given this power. I'll give it to you. Just a quick genuflection. Just a quick, just bowing down. Just real quickly. Nothing to see here. Just like the Israelites were always having their secondary gods of syncretism. You know, nothing to see here. We still worship Yahweh. Still love Yahweh. But we have our secondary gods. They're useful. So Jesus, just one quick bow the knee. That's not going to hurt. Then all of this is yours. All the heavens are the heavens, the kingdom, you know, the earth, but now the, the, this physical kingdoms, all the glory in this world, I will give to you. Then Jesus said to him, 
Away with you, Satan. Really, it's another get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Now, this is the same thing he told to Peter. When Jesus is telling his, his apostles that I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of the Jews, they're going to hand me over to the Gentiles, and I'm going to be crucified. And Peter pulls him aside and says, never. I'm never going to let that happen. Jesus, his meat and his drink was to do the will of the Father. Peter was testing him there. So he told Peter, get behind me. You are so mindful of the things of men. This is of God. Get behind me. So this doesn't just apply to the devil. This applies to those who are in the darkness, to those who don't seek the things of God or who don't know the things of God. As I've told you in the Gospels, the apostles are kind of goofy, you know? By God's grace, after Pentecost, they're all filled with the Spirit, and they're indwelt by God, and they're given wisdom and power from, and boldness from God himself. But during Jesus' earthly ministry, they didn't understand any of this stuff. They didn't understand. They were waiting for the Messiah, for the reigning ruler to come, destroy all the Romans, reestablish the true priesthood, because that had fallen, to be the prophet forever, to reign forever. And they, he kept on telling them, that's not what's going to happen. I'm going to be going to Jerusalem to be handed over. But they're probably thinking, oh, great. This is the time. I don't know what that means. He keeps on saying things that I don't quite understand. <laughs> so I don't know what this means, but obviously we're going to Jerusalem. Maybe now's the time. Maybe now's the time. But now he's saying something about being crucified, being handed over to the Gentiles? No. No, I'm not having that, Jesus. No, no, no. I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to protect you, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I'm here for you. No problem. I'm like a Jonathan. No, no problem, Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Here, Jesus is tested. He's tempted with the kingdoms of this world and all of their glory. And he, and he rebukes strongly Satan. This get behind me is more of a, more of a away with you, Satan. Not just away from me. Away with you entirely. No more Satan. No more devil. No more of you at all. Away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. That's why I've continued to reiterate anything we put above the worship of God is our God. If we find it inconvenient to seek him in his word, to follow him in, him in his word, we are following after other gods. We can enjoy these things. We can enjoy those things. But we must worship the Lord our God and him only. Now that is found in Deuteronomy 6.13. So the part that we, we, we considered just a second ago, it comes just before that. And we're going to read 10 through uh, 15. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. God is a jealous God among you. God is zealous for his people. God is jealous. This is what, this is what you know, part of what I've, I've indicated as well. Jealousy in a vacuum, you know, we considered uh, uh, David venging himself kind of a thing. Now that's wrong. Jealousy is typically wrong. You know, uh, Saul was full of jealousy, so it drove him insane. Okay. However, you know, when 
my sons were younger, if somebody would have tried to kidnap them while they're three or four years old, I would have been jealous to protect them. If somebody's coming after my wife, I'm going to be jealous to drive them away. There is a righteous jealousy. God is jealous for his people. He desired, he des Christ desires his bride. And if his bride is laying in another bed, then he is jealous. He is jealous because he is righteous. We must see through, we must see in this testimony who God is. This all sounds harsh, you know, on the outset, you know, on the outside. But hear our Maker, hear our God. So it should be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which He swore to your fathers, into the promised land, here it is, okay, here it is, once this is done, to, uh, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, which you did not build, the promised land we had nothing to do with. We have been granted into the paradise of paradises. We have been we have been given over. We have been given the land, the great land, truly flowing with milk and honey. Truly flowing with the grace and mercies and provisions and beauty of our God. So, beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things. Remember, Christ says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. We've talked about that. So, houses which you did not, full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware. We, we must understand, during our sanctification, we will be driven in the wilderness. We will be tested. God does not tempt anyone. He will test you. He will test you. So you will be driven into the wilderness. However, eventually... So again, remember, the story of the Exodus. It was, it was a deliverance out of bondage. That's salvation, right? Then they go through the Red Sea. And then they're, they're wandering for 40 years. And there's the wilderness. And then... They cross the Jordan through Joshua into the promised land. And there are still enemies in the promised land. So in our life, in our pilgrimage, once we're delivered, that, that doesn't immediately <laughs> enter us into the, the absolute land of promise. Our land of promise is Christ. Our ultimate glory, our absolute glory awaits for us. The crown of life awaits for us, but that is given now. Christ is in us, and should He be in us, then we have crossed the Jordan. We are in the promised land. However, when you are filled with His blessings, when you occupy these houses you didn't build, when you're filled with from all the vineyards that you didn't plant, when you're, when you're occupying and a citizen of all these beautiful, large cities which you did not start, beware. Beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out, who delivered you, who saved you. Once you're in this land, take heed, just like Paul was saying. I was telling the Ephesian elders, take heed, keep watch, beware. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. In Luke's account, it actually says the devil went away until a more opportune time. Very ominous foreboding, most likely pointing toward the cross, okay? And likely pointing to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, the angels came and ministered to him. The angels are ministering spirits, okay? In another place, when Jesus is uh, about to be arrested, one of his apostles, most likely Peter, took out a sword and cut off one of the servant's ears. And Jesus healed him. And he said, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. I could have called 12 legions of angels. But that, then the, the fulfillment of God would not be done. The, I, I am here to do the will of my Father. 
I am here to fulfill all righteousness. Keep your sword in its sheath. Keep it where it belongs. But the angels came and ministered to him. In the garden of Gethsemane, they also came and ministered to him. They were not there to deliver him. They were there to, to minister to him. So I think going back to the garden, I think if Eve and I think if Adam would have remained faithful, the angels would have come and ministered to them. They were in a garden of paradise. They knew that's what the tree was. The knowledge of good and evil was exercising and, and really manifesting good and evil, being good and evil. Remember, knowing in the Bible, knowing a woman or a man, knowing your, your spouse is intimacy. It's basically the sexual union, okay? It, that's what knowing is. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil means a union with uh, good and evil. So that temptation, even if they would have been victorious, would have been really hard for them. They had never encountered anything like this serpent. In the, in the Garden of Paradise, they had never encountered anything like that. They didn't know what sin was. They just knew it was good to obey God and evil to disobey God. But then the serpent comes in. And he says, Hath God truly said? And if he said it, do you believe him? Or will you believe me? Maybe God's keeping something back. You know, and he even gets into that. You know, he knows that your eyes will be open. And you'll know the difference between good and evil. And you'll be, you'll be just like God. And that's what they felt. That's why they felt. We all, remember Psalm 1, we all seek, before we come to Christ, we, men and women, all seek to dethrone God and take His place. That was a temptation in the garden. It's a temptation in the fall of every man and woman. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of Christ. However, he does not rule like a tyrant. He rules as a benevolent father and a wonderful and faithful brother. One that we don't have around us. As, as wonderful as, of a relationship we can have with other men and women, God, God's relationship, first of all, within the Godhead, is far more pure than anything we can even imagine. But His love for us, His fidelity to us, is pure is pure and absolute. He sent His Son. Ours is broken by ourselves. We are lame, going to the table of our Master. We are broken, and He still brings us in. Now I want to consider James, a little bit of James. So, sons and I are studying the book of James, so here's a little... <laughs> preview. Um, we're going to start at chapter 1, verse uh, 12, and we're going to read till verse 18. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Now, real quickly, the, 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 the word temptation and testings are so similar that sometimes it's hard to understand the distinction and to really know the distinction. The temptation is really alluring you to this thing, to alluring you to something, ultimately in the, in the context of the devil, or alluring you to wrong. Testing is obvious. It's just seeing how, fidel how, how true you are. Okay, So, blessed is the man who endures temptation. It could very well be testing, but it seems like it's temptation, which we'll see. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life can also be translated the crown that is life. I think that's a more fascinating translation. So that, we don't, that way we're not waiting for some vacuous golden crown on the other side. We are looking and waiting for eternal, absolute, perfect life. Righteous, holy lives. Glorified lives. Not to lord it over men and women, but to be together, one with our Savior. And so those who will endure, those who, those who are driven out into the wilderness to be tested, because God tempts no one, as we'll see, but He does test. He does test. So those who are driven out and endure, 
he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Again, we live based on God's promise, not on our fidelity, not on our faithfulness, but on his, the faithfulness of God, of his promises. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by, tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he t- himself tempt anyone. Remember, we, we had spoken of the om- omnipotence of God. God is all-powerful. And a lot of people think that means God can do anything. God can just do anything. Nope, 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 nope. That is not what it means. God cannot lie, and he cannot be tempted. There are some things that God cannot do. His, his omnipotence doesn't mean he's... It means he is all-powerful in his dominion. He has created all things. He sustains all things. You don't take another breath outside of his grace. God is omnipotent. He cannot lie and he cannot be tempted. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. He tests. He tests. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, just like, this, just like the devil. Then when, dire, when desire is, has conceived, listen to what James is doing. James is the brother, half-brother, of Jesus. And much of what he says is reflective of what Jesus would say. He uses these somewhat parables, these pictures. Okay, so once, once desire has conceived, once, it's, once, it's, once the seed is in you, okay, once, you, once the desire is, has conceived, it gives birth to sin, it delivers into sin, once the desire has conceived and born into your body, so that's what you desire, and then once it gives birth, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. The wages of sin is death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. In other words, there are no shadows. God is pure light, absolute light. He is the Father of lights, so he will fill his people with his light. So every, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived in this world. Don't think that when you are tempted, it's because God isn't being faithful to you. You're tempted because your own desire conceives, and then it gives birth to sin. So don't be deceived. Do not be deceived. For every good and every perfect gift comes is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Real quickly, men and women, those who, those who repent and come under the name of Christ, come into the church, many think, many want to work out their own salvation. Many, since John the Baptist was crying out to everybody because he's preparing the way of the Lord, be baptized, repent, and be baptized. In Acts, right after Pentecost, the, the men are asking, what should we do? What must we do? However, before that, their hearts were struck. God saves the true repentance. Men and women are utterly incapable of actual repentance outside of regeneration. Our hearts are not broken. Our hearts do not become contrite unless God comes to us, unless he gives us ears to hear and eyes to see the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus, we will in no way repent. Just because you confess, just because you profess Christ does not mean you possess Christ. There's one Savior, and that is not your repentance. There is only one means of salvation, and you have nothing to do with it other than to come into it. You have been invited. You have been summoned. You have been summoned. And what a glorious gift to come to the table of our King. What a wonderful gift. But then, 
Don't go sit in the place of honor since you repented, since you accepted Jesus, and now you just know you're so singularly blessed. God is doing all this stuff for you because you're just awesome. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I don't know where you came from, and I don't know you. Get out. Get behind me, Satan. You do not belong here. Just because you profess, just because you subjugate yourself on your knees and you genuflect to God does not save you. It is the fruit. It is the fruit of his redemption. It is the fruit that God, the, God in eternity determined, determined, promised promised and has now fulfilled through the agency, through the kingship, kingship, through the wonderful salvific work of our Savior, our only Savior. There is one Savior and we are not Him. We are not here to save others. We are here to proclaim the King. We are here to be those beautiful feet upon the mountains bringing good news. The King has come and He is one. The promised land is ours. So we go out to all the rest of the world, to the ends of the earth, to bring his people to himself, to bring his brothers and his sisters, not his subjects, to himself, to the table, to eat bread with the King of Kings, the Son of God, the one who's full of glory and splendor, beauty and true, true love. Not this feeling in a tummy. Not this arbitrary thing that we consider true love, holy devotion. Our king is devoted to us and serves us more than we will be devoted to him or can ever hope to serve him. We do not seek to repay the king. We seek to serve him in his glory. James is saying, of his own will, of God's own will, of his will, not your silly little repentance, not your silly little acceptance. You did nothing. You did nothing to come before the table. Remember, Mephibosheth did nothing. He was broken. David summoned him. David summoned him. All the other kings would have killed him. Not David. Not Jesus. Of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth, Christ himself, but the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We must remember that though we are given dominion, though we are made in the image of God, we are still creatures. We will never lose our creatureliness. Even in glory, we don't become God. We are always creatures. But we are the first fruits. We become the first fruits. In other words, the most important, the, the, the highest part of his creation, whom he is glorified, whom he's truly, who he truly, truly loves. And I think part of that was why Satan got jealous. Let me put it that way before we even consider him. I think that was part of the reason he tempted Adam and Eve for them to fall, because he wanted to ruin God's grace. He's our adversary, however. Of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. I want to read one more thing in Revelation. Chapter, because what I, what I'm, the reason I go to Revelation is because I want to show how all of this is throughout the Bible. And again, many people can pick and choose. Many people can pick and choose. Like John the Baptist says, repent. And be baptized. And never take anything else into consideration. And that's all the call you do. That's, the, that's what the preacher preaches. Repent and be baptized and you will be saved. Not unless you're cut to the heart by the Spirit of God. That's what happened in Acts. Any, many did not come to believe that day because their hearts were not struck. Many people were not baptized by John. The Pharisees were mocking him. And they, but they were wondering... Why are you here? What are you doing? Who are you? 
Who are you? Many were not baptized. Only those that God has chosen to save heard the prophet. They had ears to hear and they had eyes to see. And so they repented. That's all that you are left to do. It becomes less of a command. That's why Mephibosheth fell on his knees and says, and says, who am I? Who am I? That's why David, before the throne of God, who am I that you would build a house for me? That is the heart of repentance. That is the heart of contrition. You have saved me? I deserve death and darkness forever? An eternal flame? An absolute and utter eternal separation from you? But you have plucked me out? It's like a brand in the fire? To be yours? To bring me to the head of the table? To the place of honor? Who am I? That's repentance. It's not this unwilling command. It must not be this unwilling command. Otherwise, you are not saved. Do not listen to the testimonies of men. Seek him in his word. See if these things are so. Maybe we are. Maybe we are just supposed to repent and hope for the best. Maybe we are saved by our own works. Paul completely it demolishes that. The book of Hebrews completely demolishes that. Many people think we're supposed to be restored to Israel. No. Israel was the first, was basically the first fruits of his drama of redemption. Everything that the, that the history of Israel was, was pointing to the Savior and the history of the church. If you read I think one of the, I think a wonderful companion, other than a hymnal, <laughs> to the Bible is to know the history of the church. If there's anything else to read instead of theologies and, and, and all the rest, of system and all the rest, history, church history. It's very interesting. There's much reflection. I mean, much reflection. Ultimately, the whole combination of a church and state, you know, where Rome became. A church and she fell because of that now again again there is no perfect church okay the invisible church is the only one that God sees and knows that is all filled with wheat there are wheat and tares in every church the visible church is full of wheat and tares so, so even in the church of Rome there are men and women, I firmly believe, and I refuse to believe otherwise, that are saved, who are saved, and truly know their Christ. They just don't know some of the doctrines. I don't think a lot of the priests even know some of the doctrines of the church. But that's, that, that's somewhat of a sidebar discussion. God, Christ, is King. Here, the temptations is much like what I want to kind of illustrate. This is the way I want to illustrate it. The Lord is my shepherd. This is the beginning of his ministry. Basically, he is coming through the gates and he is bringing his sheep home. All of the flocks. And now, now that he has won the victory, he is sending out his assistant shepherds to find the lost sheep of Israel. Just like we've seen in his prophecy, Jesus is the true Israel. So in, all, in essence, we are the true Israel. Paul makes that clear, okay? Not to replace the old Israel, we are the church throughout the New Testament. The true Israel of the Old Testament is the church of the New Testament. Let me put it that way. David was a great Christian. Couldn't wait <laughs> to see his son in the flesh. But he is still his king. But the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not that I might gain a crown. Not that I might earn 
whatever from God and earn a place at his table. No, you prepare a table before me in the presence of all my enemies. I didn't do anything. You prepared it. God is our great shepherd. Christ is our faithful shepherd leading us into the fold and telling us to beware, continually being, telling us to beware and protecting us from the wolves. The true church is in the sheepfold, okay? But there are many, many outside who must be brought in. Now, even those faithful assistant shepherds are the true shepherd. In other words, Christ indwelling these men and them being in Christ is the shepherd, the good shepherd, going, leaving the 99 to go and save one. Christ will not lose one. Not one single one that God the Father has given over to him. Not one. Not one has been lost except the son of perdition. The devil and all of his minions and all who seek to genuflect, to bow the knee to him are not part of the fold. They're wolves. They're wolves. They're goats on the left hand. Christ is our good shepherd. Let us see as we consider him as king, this is, this is what we're driving home, okay? This is what I want to kind of try to drive home. We saw he, that he is the good shepherd. He is the prophet whose word is himself. He is the, our great high priest who offered himself. He is the eternal sacrifice. He is the offering. However, there's no true perspective of any of these offices without him being king, without him being absolutely sovereign, and a servant king, not a man after God's own heart, but a God-man with God's heart coming, coming to save you, to suffer. When, when the Bible says that Jesus gave his life for us, when he says, I did not come to serve, but to be served and give my life as a ransom for many, that is not just the cross. He's not saying, I came to die for you. I, he's saying, I came to give my life for you. This whole thing. I had to fulfill all righteousness. I had to suffer for you. My whole, this whole time. Not just at the cross. The cross was the worst place, and we will get there, God willing, in a couple weeks. But the cross is where he was absolutely forsaken. Talk about this wilderness temptation. He was forsaken by his father. We will get to that, God willing, when we consider Christ as king as our great high priest next week, God willing, we will see. We're going to look at Christ's trials. Christ's trials before Pontius Pilate, for Herod Agrippa, for the chief priests, as the word of God. As the word of God, the true prophet who really doesn't say much during that whole time. He's like a lamb before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That's what Isaiah said. That's who this Messiah is. That's who Christ is. He's a lamb. He's the lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. Should we be in him? Our service is not our glory. Our calling men and women is, is wonderful. What a tremendous privilege that every single one of us have. But our glory is our king. That's why in Revelation, where it says, you know, in heaven, there is no temple. God is our temple. We, we must have our own kind of temple, our own prayer closet. For me, it's truly my closet. I don't know why. I don't know why. I mean, I pray, you know, many times. I go, my, you know, many places. For whatever reason, that strange place is, is where I hear him the most, where I, where I see him the most, uh, where he, where we truly have this 
wonderful exchange, wonderful relationship. God has sent his son so that we might boldly enter into the throne of grace. Now and forever, this king came to serve. So should we. Not to gain the crown of righteousness, not to gain the crown of life, that has been won already. The bread and the food and the feast in heaven is already prepared. The large and great cities that you are going to occupy are already there. The houses that Christ has gone and prepared for us awaits us and awaits his coming. Till that great day, until the day of Christ, let us seek, let us follow our good shepherd, the King of kings and Lord of lords, now and forever, world without end. Praise God. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the grace that you have so manifestly and beautifully given to your people. Thank you that you have condescended to send your Son, your only Son, and not to stop your hand as you told Abraham, as you commanded Abraham. But you let the night fall. Our Christ was pierced. That he might gain that absolute victory for all your sons and daughters. That we might glory, that we are brothers and sisters of his forever. That we might boldly enter into your throne which is your holy presence. May we know that you are sovereign and know that you are awesome and know that you are great. However, you are accessible. You love your sons and daughters. You welcome us before you. Let us remember, let us always remember, it is you who saves and you alone. We praise you for our unmerited salvation, that we might sit at the table of our Lord for eternity. It's in his name, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the word of God is life. <laughs>